0: And then uh, it happened one other time, and it was—it's still so vivid in my head. And there was a meeting where there was some commentary uh, made, and it was just—I I, didn't—I thought it was very inappropriate for an executive boardroom or for anybody to speak to anybody in that manner. And I remember thinking to myself, "Okay, that's it. I'm not going to go home and let this bother me." And I like marched out of the meeting, walked right into this person's office, and I said, "By the way," I said, "Just so you know, don't ever talk to me like that again." And I remember this person was sort of taken aback. They were like, what? You know, what are you talking about? I said, what just happened in there? I said, I'm a peer, I'm a colleague, I expect to be treated with respect.
1: This week on the Courageous Podcast, we were joined by Lily Tomovich, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Grove Collaborative, former uh, CMO and CXO of MGM Resorts, and before that, was a marketing leader at MasterCard, and great conversation today. Uh, really interesting to just talk through her progression in her career, being a woman leader in uh, Las Vegas in the gaming environment that has historically been male-driven, and shares with us a couple courageous moments of her own.
2: Yeah, she has seen some things in boardrooms, uh, and I was grateful that she you know, was vulnerable and she shared. And, um, you know, I always love it. Like, when people like Lily come on the show, you're like, yeah, I could see myself working for her because she's, she's considerate, she's thoughtful, but she still wants to win. And, um, and the other thing I really liked is just how she's, she's, she's a vertical hopper. So she's been in multiple verticals. Um, and now she's, she's, she's in startup land, which we actually talked about maybe where we get startups wrong as well in this episode.
1: Yeah. I, it's so important, you know. We we've heard the imposter syndrome thing, and and the reality is, you know, you have experience that's valuable, and and she talked a lot about how important it is to build confidence. So, learn a little bit from this one and enjoy the episode. So we're joined here today by Lily Tomovich and Lily and I both worked in Vegas together. I would say we were friendly competitors. I was at Caesars. Lily was heading up marketing as a CMO and CXO, Chief Experience Officer at, at MGM. And as has recently moved on to Grove Collaborative. And so we're excited to have you on today, Lily, and, and hear about the new venture and, and how that's going. And and maybe you could just open, you know, with the with the guest, just take us through your career. You were at MasterCard went to MGM, you know, running a big entity, a big brand, experience-based, and then kind of a pivot to, to st- startup world, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a journey. So I did, I started my career in financial services and then went to, you know, mobile tech and then was in loyalty and then MasterCard. And so I've kind of, I think, Part of my journey has been really this idea of um, trying new new industries and new challenges. And certainly, when I left Mastercard and I came to MGM, I remember you know the number one question I got from people was, "Oh my gosh, that must have been such you know an interesting transition for you to go from financial services in New York to you know casino hospitality entertainment in Vegas, um, and now moving on to a um, a startup in the bit." Bay- Scale up startup, I guess, in the in the Bay Area. So I guess I like new things. Um, I get bored easily, and I like challenges. And um, but we can talk about it later. Actually, startups aren't as different. There's a little bit of mystique, I think, in Silicon Valley about how the rest of the world operates versus Silicon Valley. And I I think, you know, it's some of these perceptions or biases aren't necessarily true. One of them being if you've come from a really big you know, global company, you don't understand the speed at which you know, these startups operate. And you, you and I know, Ryan know this, like there is no big global company these days that doesn't move at the speed of lightning. I mean, they just don't. So I laugh and I think, what, what do you think the rest of us who aren't at a startup are sort of sitting around all day, you know? So it's that piece of the transition has been pretty, pretty seamless because every company's moving super fast these days.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I can attribute the busyness that (laughs) happens in the gaming world (laughs) to the startup world, too. You know, I've been working with startups and and uh, I'm curious, you know, you went through kind of a big transformation at MGM while you were there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, how, how was that for you? You know, taking a big company like that through digital transformation and also like a, a new brand campaign and, you know, a, a dynamic changing environment in the market. I'm right. sure you learned a lot during that experience.
0: Yeah, it was really, um, it was, I, you know, I, I just absolutely loved it. It was a lot of fun trying to figure out, as, as you know, from Caesars, our companies, both were companies that grew out of, you know, acquisition. And so when I joined, you find yourself with, you know, this two $2 billion food and beverage, you know, business, 400 plus restaurants. And then you've got this big entertainment business and you've got T-Mobile Arena and then you have casino and you have hotel. And somehow you need to sort of connect all of these um, in a more meaningful way for for the brand, the business and for consumers ultimately. And so I went about really repositioning the company because when I joined, I remember um, our CEO at the time talking about us being a hotel and casino company. And he really you know, thought, why, why does Wall Street keep valuating us as a casino hotel company? What more can we do to really help tell our story? And uh, I remember saying, well, leave that with me. And then we really worked through this repositioning, which is at the end of the day, who, who really are we and why do we exist? The good old brand question. And we realized we're, we're an entertainment company at the heart of it, whether you're sitting by the pool playing blackjack or eating at you know, a Michelin starred restaurant, it's all different forms of entertainment. And so then we really pivoted and ended up launching our first integrated campaign, which was all about um, entertainment and our brand purpose became, you know, MGM resorts exist to entertain the human race. And uh, you know, six, seven years later, that positioning and work is still living on. So I'm happy about that.
2: So I think you're six months in seven months in at the new, the new gig, yes. correct? Yes, yes. Nothing like starting a new job during a pandemic where <laughs> uh, you can't move and whatnot. I'm assuming you haven't moved, correct? No, yep, that's right. So yep. how has that been? Like, how do you, when you lead a team, you know, and you talk about humanity, I mean, what could be more important than getting yeah. on the same page with your teammates? How has that been?
0: Yeah, Ryan, it's such a such a great question. I've been talking to a lot of my peers about it. I mean, I'm not even going to sugarcoat. It is really hard to do this out of my, although beautiful, spare bedroom. Um, I haven't met 99% of the folks that I work with. And so it's it's really hard. And especially for somebody like me who is really a people person. And I get a lot of energy being around my team and ideation and thought creation. And so Um, you have to work just twice as hard. You spend a lot of time staring into the screen and everything has to be so much more purposeful. You can't have that walk back to your office with a colleague saying, hey, can we talk about that for a minute? And you get that five minute of banter and relationship building and, oh, I understood what you meant. Now everything is like, I got to make a call. I have to set up a Zoom. Um, It just, it's uh, far more exhausting. And you worry about just those connections and are you doing a good job sort of translating your vision and your strategy without actually being able to, to be there. So it's, it's been, um, it's been, uh, it's been tough, but you know, I think I'm, I think I'm doing okay, but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a new skill and muscle
2: to learn. I miss those little collision moments. The, uh, the, you know, the, we used to call them the, do you have five minutes? And it never was five minutes, like two hours would go by, but you'd have like, a real idea out of it. I don't. I don't think we've cracked. I think we're still living in the land of transactional commentary. It's like it's on your calendar. You've got thirty minutes. What do yeah. you pull off in that thirty? But which I have to imagine is quite hard because you're going into a new brand and you're trying to to listen but make your mark and, and steer the ship here. Um, big question for you. I mean, so you're 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 at Grove, and I love what the brand stands for. I love what the story stands for. Although I'm interested to hear if you feel like. The story is locked. Um, you know, I'm involved in a couple of DTC brands. I wish they would just say they're a brand. By the way, you see yeah. where I'm going with this question? Yeah. Do they have you been surprised by their their understanding of story and brand? And the second part of this is, what is the balance on like performance marketing that you've seen there versus what I would call preference marketing?
0: Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, So I think for Grove specifically, the story is quite powerful because it is CEO founder led and Stu started the company, I think when he was 26, 27. Um, And he really, you know, when you talk to him, I love it. I just asked him the other day, I said, well, Stu, what's your why? Like, why did you start Grove? And he said, Naively, I wanted to change the world. I want to change the world, right? And he was always focused from a very early age around sustainability and the impact of of plastic uh, on the environment, et cetera. And so that's really been part of the ethos of the company. And um, we're we're fortunate to to have that. Um, Your second question around performance. So all D2C brands are performance-driven machines, right? And that was part of the reason I joined was to really help build a brand. Most D2C brands, I'm sure you've experienced, experienced this, they all sort of incubate on social media, right? So Facebook and Instagram, which is exactly where we grew the business quite significantly over the last four or five years. But then there becomes a pivot point where all of a sudden you no longer, your cacks are too high through social media. You can't get the scale you need. And it's, it's, it's literally a playbook. I've seen it with Peloton and HelloFresh and Dollar Shave and Harry's all of a sudden. Which which makes me smile. Um, they all end up going to TV, right, to get scale, reach, and awareness. And as an established brand, you're kind of making the opposite pivot, which is less on TV, more on digital. But the DDC brand. So when I joined there, I was like, this is this is amazing. Like we're trying to pivot to TV. Where the last two three jobs I've had, we're trying to pivot away from TV. So, but as a startup. Um, you know, streaming and linear are still incredibly important scale channels, as I said, to drive, to drive that awareness um, for these C brands.
1: Yeah. Louie, I was, I was, you know, uh, stalking you on LinkedIn a little bit and reading your, your opening description, which I love. And at the end, you have a little, I believe statement, which I think is really awesome. And, you know, you've been, You know, behind technology, from what I know, and in MGM, and and driving that, and uh, you know, you you talk about empowering human engagement, and that, you know, humans are really kind of the the most important thing, and and that's it, right? Like you're a leader that really engages with with the people around you, and so understand that it's probably you know hard working through these digital mediums right now, but you know, one thing you say in there is that tomorrow is another opportunity to do better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. I I was, you know, looking at Grove and their spots and I think they actually have a spot called do better. (laughs) So I'm just wondering, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, courage and, and, you know, aligning the personal you with the professional you. And part of that is really understanding values, your personal values, you know, the business values, using those as filters to make decisions and, and be guiding principles at the end of the day. So how much does this hit home for you and, and what Grove is this, and the brand is established to do and what they're trying to do and what they believe in? Um, is that different from other brands that you've worked on?
0: Yeah, I mean, every brand, um, anywhere I've ever worked, um, you know, each brand has been very sort of clear on their role uh, in, in the world um, and with consumers. And that's always important. But what's unique about Grove is, as I said, the real mission and ethos of the company has always been to you know, leave the world a better place, right? And so to be able to work for a company that um, is a B Corp and is really focused on what can we do around sustainability and the environment and this huge plastic problem that we have in CPG. I mean, we really believe that CPG can be a force for good, right, for environmental health and public health. And so, you know, billions of ounces of plastic end up in our oceans every year. And so what can Grove, this little company, which hopefully one day won't be so little, what can we do to eliminate, you know, I'll use waste plastic um, as an example. And only nine, you know, I learned a lot of stuff when I joined Grove and I didn't realize that only 9% of all plastic is actually recycled. And so when you start thinking about that, you realize, you know, where is it all going? Well, it's going into the oceans. And so for me, it's been really, as a marketer, really amazing actually to work for a brand that you know has a direct impact on the future of, you know, of the world and our children. And so um, I loved the mission purpose-driven aspect of Grove and I feel fortunate to have uh, been able to find a brand uh, that aligns
1: uh, with some of my personal values as well. I, I didn't know that and I've been involved in, organizations because I'm a surfer so like plastic going into the ocean kind of you know resonates with me a lot and and I love the spots I love the message that they have but you know you came into an industry in in gaming in Las Vegas that's you know historically kind of stodgy male driven and yeah, you know, could be challenging. And I I mean, they've progressed a lot, I would say over the last few years, you know, both MGM and Caesars Entertainment with their initiatives. What did you take away from that? I'm I'm sure, you know, and I just know it from what I saw, you know, in the brand that I work for, you know, the boardroom was made up of, you know, older white gentlemen. So (laughs) did that, has that experience played into anything that you brought into, into Grove and, and how important is that? I think, you know, I've been watching a lot of the content that you push out on, on LinkedIn and, and you're such a force for, you know, empowerment and leadership and, and what that means. But, you know, being a woman leader coming into an industry like that, was that challenging for you at all? Yeah, it was.
0: It was really. Um, there's a lot of things that I thought were so interesting to me joining the casino industry, and um, one of them, of course, is that it is. Uh, it was. It still s- sort of is, <laughs> male dominated. although, of course, like Caesars, um, there was a big uh, amount of energy around uh, diversity, and inclusion, and pushing for that at all levels through the organization, which I appreciated. But one thing, you know, it did teach me, I have to say, is um, you have to just be really prepared to stand up for yourself because there, you know, you're in this environment um, that at times there's strong personalities. I'm sure you, you are familiar with um, the industry and the personalities. And as a woman, I think you, I found, you know, women or male or female, frankly, but you have to be able to sort of have conviction in your point of view and really stand your ground. And um, that's one thing I for sure learned while I was there. Um, But I also appreciate what I did appreciate working there is just you don't see that kind of loyalty and tenure at a lot of other organizations. So there was such a richness of history with all of the folks um, that I worked with. Um, and I actually really appreciated that. It was very often that I'd be speaking to another executive, and they would say, "I've been here 20, 25 plus years," which goes to show you there's something so powerful and addictive about that industry. I mean, it's you know by far a super exciting, fun, energized place to work. And so the the, the tenure of employees as well was super fascinating um, to me and and special at the same time because. You don't realize the richness of history and information that you get when you have an opportunity to work in an organization, where there is so much rich history that is shareable.
2: This may not be a fair question, so I'm going to just throw that out there right now. Uh, but, you know, I love how you said you got to know when to stand up for yourself. Like you've got your point of view on lockdown and history can be a friend and history can be a foe, right? Like where's the line between honoring legacy versus getting stuck in that, like, so what do you take forward? Like if you're going to give us advice for the listeners, where does history play really well into the future? And where is it like, you got to take a deep breath, honor what it was, but leave that part behind.
0: Um, Well, I guess there's two aspects of it. One is just around leadership and culture, right? So there's a lot of inherited sort of, operations dna and the culture of a company based on that rich history and then there's the you know the rich history of the brand and how do you sort of honor that but continue the momentum and i guess keep it continuously reinvigorate the honor of the of the brand and the rich history that the brand has Um, and so it's always balancing the two unless i said the culture is really that's the piece that's fascinating to me when you have um old brands, as I said, with a ton of history um, and a lot of employee tenure, there's also a culture that comes there as well. And so it's how much do you want to mix in with the culture versus also bring in your own fresh perspective. And as I said, have the conviction and courage to stand up if you if you disagree with certain aspects of that culture.
2: It, it's funny you mentioned um, your CEO now, Stu, naively saying he wants to change the world because you know, the conversations that we've had at courageous behind the scenes is, is similar. And you like, you find yourself going, okay, this is audacious to say it this way. But if we, I do think courage is a prerequisite for everything else that's meaningful. Like you got to start with, okay, this is the time to speak up and we're going to take action on this idea. And one of the ideas we, we keep coming back to is, okay, help, let's 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 help companies or, or leaders face fear understand fear mm-hmm. so they can create change and hopefully save humanity. And and again, that's the audacious part. But like, if we've learned anything about the last two years of politics, it's clear that it's going to be the businesses that have to stand up and, and make the change. And Grove seems perfectly positioned to do that. It, does it make it just so much easier to wake up when you care about humanity and purpose actually matters and you're a B Corp?
0: For sure. I mean, culturally, it's just, it is, and I've worked at a lot of companies, it is by far the nicest place I've ever worked in terms of the people, the type of people, you know, just the attitude, the positive energy, the willingness to help. I mean, it's it's really quite special. And I think part of that is the type of organization we are and the type of work we do. Just naturally people... Um, Sorry, I'm getting a little message here. People naturally gravitate, uh, you know, it's self-selection, right? People wanna work for a company that's doing good. Um, And so that's been really, it's just a lovely, lovely group of human beings at Grove. Uh, It's special.
1: Billy, I want to pivot to basketball for minutes, but I think this is pretty close to your heart, right? You were is that on the a, board is of directors. That a
2: basketball pun? Did you just make a basketball pun?
1: <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but you, you were on the board of directors for Canada basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think you helped actually with the Las Vegas Aces, is that correct? Yes. Could you share yeah. that experience a little bit? Because I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. So the viewers don't know this, but I'm 6'2", and so I <clears throat> played, um, actually I played a lot of volleyball, a lot of basketball, but I actually rode in college. So people think I played basketball in college, I didn't, I rode. Anyways, um, passionate about um, sports, and um, we had an opportunity, so it was actually the San Antonio Stars. Our CEO um, at the time was interested in starting to, you know, obviously professional sports was a um, a strategy of MGMs in order to fill up kind of the entertainment portfolio. And we knew the Knights were coming in. There was rumors at the time that the Raiders were coming. And so we decided that we wanted to see if we could start bringing in uh, basketball and we'd start with the WMBA to see if we could get enough sort of interest uh, around that particular asset. And so we purchased the San, San Antonio stars, We relocated them to Las Vegas and then went through the whole process of coming up with a brand and and rebranding them and obviously giving them a home uh, at the arena at Mandalay Bay. And so that was uh, a lot of fun. And of course, they just were most recently sold uh, to the Raiders. So they're staying in Las Vegas, which is great news. But it was a lot of fun. The women uh, on the team are just amazing community members and they are great role models for so many uh, girls here in Las Vegas and frankly, you know, in, in, in the U.S. and around the world. And so getting a chance to, to work with the WNBA was certainly a, a highlight and one of those things where you think, oh, gosh, I, I didn't know that, you know, you really realize that marketing skills are so transferable. And that's one thing I've learned every time I've jumped industries and you always sort of go, oh, I'm a little nervous. Do I know what I'm doing? You know whether it's basketball or hotel rooms or a credit card or hand soap, it it it's all the same um, kind of toolkit. So it's kind of fun to be able to to use your toolkit on multiple different industries and products and
1: services yeah it was fun. yeah I, th- I just think that's so interesting because it's you know it, it's like not part of the roles and responsibilities of the job you were doing, but it, like you helped bring and brand this and bring it to market and really cool for the community there. Um, you know you talked about nervousness and not knowing if you know you, you have all the right skills um, to do the job, but re- really you you get to a point where you, you realize you do right? And um, we've talked to other guests, and they talk about imposter syndrome, when they go into new roles, or they jump into a category. And of course, you don't have all the institutional knowledge of of a brand or a new category that others have that have been working there for a long time, but you are an expert as a marketer. And we define courage as knowledge plus faith, plus action, right? And you need all three working together. And, uh, you know, Hearing that definition, I'm wondering if if there's a moment in your career where maybe things have felt a little uncomfortable or, you know, we talk about fears and being able to move through those fears um, and having the appropriate knowledge and building that faith to get through there and then putting them, that into action. Have you experienced a couple moments that you could share with the audience where you felt you've taken a courageous stance or you pushed through a courageous idea or done something courageous in your professional career?
0: Um, there is, and I would say, you know, it's interesting when I think about courage, I kind of equate it to, um, a couple things, right? Courage is curiosity, et cetera. But for me, courage really is about having the confidence to do something that you are a little fearful of doing. Um, and there was, you know, there's simple examples, um, and I'll be completely candid here uh, for a moment, but there in, at MGM Resorts, as I said, there was many powerful uh, executives um, who were very poignant in their point of views. And I remember one particular, it, it happened a few times actually, where there was some behavior by a senior leadership person that I didn't particularly care for, their behavior in a meeting. And I let it go a few times, and I'll tell you, don't ever let it go because it started to eat me inside because I started thinking, why did I not have the courage or the confidence to say, this is not okay, do not talk to me like that or do not talk to my team member like that, um, et cetera. And so I realized by not having the courage to do it, it was sort of eating me up inside and it was really bothering me. And then uh, it happened one other time and this, it was, it's still so vivid in my head. And there was a meeting where there was some commentary uh, made and it was just, I, I, didn't, I thought it was very inappropriate for an executive boardroom or for anybody to speak to anybody in that manner. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, that's it. I'm not gonna go home and let this bother me. And I like marched out of the meeting, walked right into this person's office. And I said, by the way, I said, just so you know don't ever talk to me like that again. And I remember this person was sort of taken aback. They were like, what? You know, what are you talking about? I said, what just happened in there? I said, I'm a peer, I'm a colleague, I expect to be treated with respect. And that was not okay with me. And I have to tell you, it was so liberating to actually have that moment, as I said, of courage or confidence to do that. And um, I just, you know, for everybody listening, it's like, you, you have to, you just force yourself to do it. I promise you, you will feel so much better Having done it, then do what I did, which is let it go for a few times. And then you're just, you you actually get more upset with yourself for not saying it. So um, there's so many examples of that. And I think especially um, in in workplace environment where you have to have a voice and you have to use your voice, um, your voice for good. Um, And hopefully that will make a difference, not only for you, but others to come.
2: You know, I, I so appreciate you sharing that. Even like you said, like if you let it sit there and fester, it's going to, it's only yeah. going to make things worse for you down the line. But the unemotional part of that, which sounds odd to say it like that is that you keep losing time, like right. so much to do. There's too much to do already. So yeah. like, you know, you're what I'm learning just from our short time together is I would, I chalk you up as a kind competitor. You know, you got the Canadian part,
0: yeah, humanity right.
2: part. <laughs> But yeah. then like clearly, you're fierce. Like you want to win, and you're, you're you you yeah. basketball background. So it's yeah. interesting to see when does the kind take the lead versus well, look, this is a time where the the competitor in you really has to come to the to the yeah. table. To make sure it's clear.
0: I think Ryan and you just nailed it. There's something really hard about trying to because you're right. I like to be, and I probably over rotate on the nice side, on the kind side, and it's hard to find that balance of how can you be a good person, a kind person, an empathetic person, but at the same time, you know, know when, you know, the line's been crossed and now it's your personal integrity that feels attacked and it's not okay anymore. And so I think finding that balance, um, as a human is super important, um, in all aspects of life.
2: Um, you're also slightly dangerous because you started in Monday. And so I always find it fascinating when you have, because a lot of marketers, especially on the creative side, they don't understand the business side.
0: Right. So
2: how, how beneficial was that for your career to like start in that arena and like really get to understand how money works?
0: Um, I, you know, it's interesting because out of grad school, I sort of um, had the choice of doing your traditional become a, you know, classically trained marketer at craft or Procter and Gamble which would have put me down kind of I would have been a great brand marketer but at the time now I'm dating myself but you know Citibank and American Express were doing this thing called direct marketing funny enough here like 25 plus years later we still talk about CRM and direct marketing but anyways um, they were doing all that work around one-to-one CRM direct marketing and I and I kind of thought oh, I better I better go you know dip my toe into that and see what's happening because I can always learn the brand piece out of P&G or craft but I want to know what's happening in this new kind of world of marketing with CRM, and so I did that. And um, the discipline to answer your questions, starting out in financial services, especially somewhere like Citi or American Express, which happened to be the two kind of big marketing machines back then, I just I was I I really became classically trained in um, in direct marketing and one-to-one relationship building. And uh, and the, I guess, vigor of being in a financial institution and their early use of data and analytics was super beneficial to me early on in my career, for
1: sure. Lily, I want to go back to you you mentioned liberation and and we use that a lot with Courage because we believe Courage can set you free. Mm -hmm. And you're a wonderful leader. You've led massive teams um, and... I'm curious if you can share with the listeners just how you've helped teams get unstuck or liberate and and maybe you didn't even realize it but the synthesis of of courage in those moments and what what do you do as a leader what do you think is important as a leader to you know help your team also be liberated and and mm-hmm. find freedom
0: Well there is first of all, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm fiercely protective of my team and teach them to be protective of themselves and stand up for themselves. And, um, I think that's super important. And I've had people work for me, you know, say to me, you know, thanks for teaching me to, to, to stand up for, you know, for myself, et cetera. So that's, that's super important, but two is as a leader, um, I think to unlock yourself, it's this emotional intelligence and empathy that's super important and the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes is super important to unlock your own personal growth and the growth of the business and those around you. Um, and so I spend a lot of time, you know, building one-to-one relationships, but also, Teaching people, if somebody says, you know, well, so-and-so isn't performing, or I'm not sure, you know, so-and-so has, I've had so many of these conversations where people would say to me, so-and-so's, you know, mother, sister, father is sick, I'm not sure what to do, should I put them on FMLA right away, and I'm always like, you know, my first thing is time out, let's think about this, think what this person is going through. Let's have conversations. The first thing we're not going to do is say, you must go on FMLA right away. Like we want to work through this situation, understand, you know, how much time they may need away, what's, you know, what are they going through and let's try and, you know, put our arms around them and support them as much as possible. And I find some people come right into my office and they've got all the HR paperwork and they're like, so-and-so needs a leave of absence. Um, I want to formalize this. And it's the last thing I do. It's like, I don't want to look at H- any HR paperwork. I want you to you know, lean in here. How can we support the person? And so building em- empathy for your teams, for consumers and the process is really important. I mean, I asked my team to sit down, you know, once a month on, you know, we all read social media, but we still have obviously an opportunity when customers call in live into our call center to listen uh, listening to calls. So I forced my team to do that once a month because you have to build empathy, as I said, for your peers, for your consumers, for the business, for the world at large. So I think that's a big, a big unlock.
2: Are those the Grove Guides? Is that who you're talking about? Is that your customer service You're
0: so good. Yes, Grove
2: Guides. I'm on it. Well, I was like, I wonder if she branded that or if that was before her time. I mean, you've been there six months. Was that you or was it before That was
0: before my time. I cannot take credit for the Grove Guides, but I'm impressed that you knew that.
2: And well, it's cool to see like the focus again, it's, it just comes back down to clarity and prioritization of like, what are we going to say is important? And even, you know, look, I wonder what we need to untrain ourselves on like that HR person's doing their job. They were trained to do that moment. But like, how do you like shake somebody short circuit somebody and get them thinking about the right thing and thinking about the empathy side or Have they just been burned in the past and it's cost the company money? And it's like fear, 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 you know?
0: Yeah. I just think, I mean, I just think the, you know, the the big, of course, you know, the big trendy word right now is what's your superpower. And I think the ability to build relationships, to have empathy, to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, to be able to reach across the table and break bread, the ability to build bridges when they don't exist. I mean, God, the world needs more of that, let alone in business and in relationships. And so I think if people can build their superpower to be relationships and building bridges where they may not exist, that's gonna be key for for the future of of leaders in successful relationships and businesses.
1: We can't agree more. I think that's actually one of your uh, New Year's resolutions, right, Ryan? relationships.
2: I have. Yeah. On the, on my wall here, I've got two words. I've got relationships and discipline.
0: Yeah.
2: And, uh, and I need, I need to see those for whatever reason. I need to see them every day and relationships is as much about a relationship with myself as it is with, with Ryan or others that we work with, but then the consistency and and being conscious of the discipline that's needed to do the job, the way we want to do it. So I like that stuff. That's my cup of tea. And you
0: know, interesting is um, I haven't really I I guess quarantine gives you a lot of time to think but you also kind of realize as you get a bit older that there's some relationships in your life either you know past colleagues or you're like you know what I probably don't need to invest that much time in that relationship (laughs) anymore right you realize there's something not right about this relationship and uh, I think that's super important too (laughs) I don't know if you have found that but (laughs) I've been thinking about that.
1: Totally. The power of saying no is so important and right? you know, protect, protecting your time. It's the only thing that we're really is a limited resource. Um, we're, we're getting close to time here, Lily. So, you know, I want to close with just one piece of advice um, for women who are growing into leadership roles. You've, you've been there, you've been in leadership role for three major brands. Now, if you could leave the audience with a piece of advice for for women growing into these leadership roles, what's what's one thing that you could share?
0: I know I mentioned it before, but it's really about, you know, having a voice, being courageous, being confident and asking for what you want. And here's a person who I feel very fortunate to, you know, be a chief marketing officer, but I can tell you, I, I did this without asking ever for it. And I, I kind of regret that because when I was younger, I would see, you know peers whether they're female or male i you know i, I don't I, I try not to discriminate on on you know men are better at women than this but you know men do ask for raises men do ask for promotions and i'm not saying that women don't so again i try not to play that gender card but i wish i and it all worked out for me and i'm thankful but you know i tell the younger generation don't be afraid to sit down and have that and by the way i see that in the company i work at now which i'm thankful for and i can see it in my teenage daughter that they won't be afraid to say, hey, you know what? I really want to move into this department. I would really like a promotion. I'd like you to look at my compensation at year end or whenever the appropriate time is to have the conversation. Stand up for yourself, have a voice, be confident, be secure in who you are. And um, you know, the one thing my husband always says to me is the worst thing that can happen is a no. And that's it. It's a no. Life goes on. And so why are we so afraid of all of these things when the worst thing that can happen is your boss or whoever looks at you says, no, I'm sorry, not now. Okay, good. Well at least I asked and I know where I stand and I can move on. And so it took me a long time in my personal professional care, career to figure that out. And so um, hopefully this next generation coming up, uh, will be a little more fearless.
1: Wonderful advice. It's, it's what we're here to help do is, you know, really allow people to understand what courage is here to help you with and we appreciate your time lily and, and for sharing your story so thank you for coming on today
0: yeah. thanks so much it was great talking to the uh, r squared team here
1: <laughs> uh-huh. thanks for coming on
0: all right guys have a great day cheers Bye.
1: if you enjoyed the episode please give us five stars subscribe
2: and leave us a comment if you like what you just heard sign up for your weekly dose of courage at returnoncourage.com